You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. Well, good morning again. It's good to be back back with you. Good to be singing together. I just love to hear it. Even to hear the ladies on that You Are Holy song, it was strong. So thank you. It was just a beautiful to hear it even from up here. So praise the Lord for for our, our, our opportunity to worship Him together. Thank you for praying for our little mini vacation, graduation, and seeing, I don't know, five different houses along the way to people, but it was a great time away, good, um, good to rest, good to see people, all that, but good to be back as well, good to be back here with our, our family here. So um, I want you to turn in, the, in your Bibles to Judges chapter 7, we'll continue back on, I if you were here last week, I listened to a little, a little bit, I uh, want to hear the whole thing of Chad, what Chad had to share last week, but kind of let the cat out of the bag that I said, hey Chad, would you let me preach this next, I, you could continue, I know, but I'd like to, you know, so, so you can determine if he should have or whatever, but we'll just trust, this is God's word. Um, so look at Judges chapter 7 as we look at that this week, and I've got a picture here before we do that. This is the first co-picture, the first co-drawn picture we've had from Malachi and Lincoln. So Lincoln's not here today, but they worked on this together. I'm not sure who put the sunglasses on Gideon, but they're there. They're looking good. It's got some good shades. That was Lincoln. Lincoln. Okay, okay. okay. Fleece is wet. The ground is dry. That's, Link, that's uh, Gideon kind of squeezing that out. He's even got a dog nearby. Uh, he says, I, yeah, I need more proof. And then, and a new fleece, I need a new fleece. So he went through, um, went through that twice. We looked at that, so that's, I know it's a while ago, two weeks ago, as we looked at that, we looked at God's will, thinking through that, God's assurance for Gideon, and we're going to even, I think we'll see his assurance. God continually, graciously assures uh, even here. I hope you're there at Judges chapter 7. Now, this is kind of the, if you're going to, remember a story and account of Gideon, this is, this is it here. Maybe the fleece, obviously, but also this, this battle with the Midianites. I'm going to go ahead and read it. I'm tempted to just kind of you know, read a bit, comment. I just want to read the whole thing. It's helpful to just, let's hear the whole story, and then we'll come back around, look at it a little bit piece by piece. Here's what I want you to do while you listen today. While you're listening, see if you can find out how many times the text would state that God will save or something alluding to God giving the Midianites into the hand of Gideon or into the hand of the the men of Israel, that type of idea. How many times do you see that uh, through what I'm about to read? So I'm going to read verses 1 through 22 and we'll listen to God's Word. Here it is. Then Jerubbabel, that is Gideon, And all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the spring of Herod. And the camp of Midian was north of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. The Lord said to Gideon, The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Now therefore proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Then 22,000 of the people returned, and 10,000 remained. And the Lord said to Gideon, The people are still too many. 
Take them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. And anyone of whom I, sh- I say to you, this one shall go with you, shall go with you. And anyone of whom I say to you, this one shall not go with you, shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water. And the Lord said to Gideon, Everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set by himself. Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink. And the number of those who lapped, putting their hands to their mouths, was 300 men. But all the rest of the people knelt down to drink water. And the Lord said to Gideon, With the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand. And let all the others go every man to his home. So the people took provisions in their hands and their trumpets, and he sent all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, but retained the 300 men, and the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. That same night the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hand. But if you're afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Purah, your servant, And you shall hear what they say, and afterward your hands shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. Then he went down with Purah, his servant, to the outposts of the armed men who were in the camp. And the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east lay along the valley like locusts in abundance. And their camels were without number, as the sand that is on the seashore in abundance. When Gideon came, behold, a man was telling a dream to his comrade. And he said, Behold, I dreamed a dream, and behold, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian and came to the tent and struck it so that it fell and turned it upside down so that the tent lay flat. And his comrade answered, This is no other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. As soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshipped. He returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hand. He divided the 300 men into three companies, put trumpets into their hands of all of them, and empty jars with torches inside the jars. And he said to them, Look at me and do likewise. When I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, Then blow the trumpets also on every side of all the camp and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outskirts of the camp and uh, at the beginning of the middle watch when they had just set the watch and they blew the trumpets and smashed the jars that were in their hands. Then the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the jars. They held in their left hands the torches and in their right hands the trumpets to blow And they cried out, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Every man stood in his place around the camp, and all the army ran. They cried out and fled. When they blew the 300 trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his comrade and against all the army. And the army fled as far as Beth Shittah, towards Zererah, as far as the border of Abel Meholah by Tabaah. Let's pray. Father, as we come to this word, there are more depths than what we can cover even in the 30 to 40 minutes here because you are infinite, Lord, and your power is infinite and great. And you are sovereign over all things. 
May we, in the reading of your word, in the study of it, may we worship. May we not just study to know some facts of another Old Testament story to win some Bible trivia someday. Lord, speak to our hearts. The God who saves Gideon and who fights and who gives the victory, you are the God we need. So I pray you would work in this time. Lord, show us by your Spirit what you would have from your Word. Guide the messenger today as well by your Spirit. We would ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I have with me a little torn up sheet of paper. Probably can't read it very well from where you're at, but it, it comes from my, my dad. My dad wrote this for me when I was in high school, and it looks like it's about that old. The pen is fading on it, but here's what it says. I actually have a picture. You can see it up close. Does that help? I'm sure you can read it now. Here's what it says. <laughs> I even had to kind of do a little, I don't know, like, what, what did you write, Dad? So... This was hanging in my, this hangs in my shed. I uh, brought it down for this, but here's what it says, his question to me. Mike, what are you trusting God for today that you can't do so that when he does it, you know God did it? What are you trusting God for today that you can't do so that when he does it, you know God did it? There were some, and there's some little scratches of I was into flying and, and how am I going to pay for this and my parents are in a missionary budget and I think some of the ideas are there, some have faded, but I love at the end. Be encouraged. Love, Dad. A great note to have. Today, as we look in Judges 7, Gideon has, is basically living this out. That's what he's doing in Judges Seven. What are you going to trust for God today? Because it doesn't look possible. It looks impossible. He whittled it down. God whittles his army down to 300 men and all they have is horns, jars, and torches against some 135,000 men. But by the end, Gideon will have seen, he will have seen the sure hand of God giving the victory, working it in the battlefield, God displaying his glory so that Gideon and Israel, they will, like that quote, they will know who did it. So I want to focus on, as we look back, I, it is a challenge for me to go over longer passages. I'm more comfortable in shorter passages. This is longer for me, but I want to divide this up if you're an outline taker and want to do this. I, I think there's three truths from the text that all share a common source. So you might say, well, there's three things we can pull out. There is one source of all this, and it's the Lord God himself. We're going to pull out that. I hope you hear that most of all. And there's kind of three truths that come out of this. In verses 1 through 8, here's truth number one. The Lord determines the resources for the battle. The Lord determines the resources for the battle. That's verses 1 through 8. We're going to see that just a little bit. Secondly, then, verses 9 through 18, there is grace in the midst. The Lord graciously assures His timid servant. The Lord, all these begin with the Lord, so we keep our focus in the right place. This is not a story about how great Gideon was. This is how great his Lord is. 
the Lord graciously assures his timid servant in verses 9 through 18, and then verses 19 through 22. Then we get to the, the victory. The Lord gives the sure victory. The Lord gives the sure victory. So we'll kind of look at these three in order. I won't be reading all the text again just to kind of save us time, hitting where we need to, summarizing that sort of thing. But let's first look at this first verses 1 through 8 where we see the Lord determines the resources for the battle. What we find listed first here, even before the battle ever begins, is where uh, Israel is at, their location. Verse 1 gives us the setting of these armies. It's interesting, this is just no mere story of old that we're finding here. There's actual places, the story's grounded in geographical facts. Now maybe today we don't know for sure where all these things are, but I believe, I think if, if not we're sh- certain, we're, we're close at least in some of these. I've got some pictures of them that I found. You can look at the, I just enjoy Google Earth. It's just, I love Google Earth. It's so fun. You fly to different places. I found this photo. Uh, here is the spring of Herod. Now this is not the Herod of the, the, the story of Christ's birth. That's a different Herod. I don't know who this one, this was actually Harod, ha, Harod, something like that. So different Herod, but there's a spring. And lo and behold, if you go to the next picture, it's even labeled that. I know you can't see it as well, but um, down here, it's called, it's a national park, the Mayan Herod National Park or Gideon's Spring. And you can see maybe in my, in my zoomed in Google Earth, a hill up here, the Hill of Mora. And down here, I'm, I'm thinking probably where the army of Gideon was. That gives you an idea. So looking kind of north-northwest, here's Gideon at this spring, and here's Midian and their 135,000 somewhere out here. And you can actually go Google Earth, fly in, zoom, look, and, and enjoy going there without ever having to get on an airplane. It's awesome. But these are, these are not stories, just abstract. These are places, part of true history. But the text narrows down from verse 1. It narrows down to the Lord then speaking to Gideon. This this narrow recollection of this. And what God says, in essence, is you must downsize. You must downsize. Look at verse 2 again. I'll read that one. The Lord said to Gideon, The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand. Lest Israel boast over me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Gideon has a problem in his army, and the problem is there are too many. What a problem. Usually it seems like there's not enough here to do anything. There's too many. So here's Midian. I'm, I'm going off of uh, Judges 8, and you can look that up later. I'm thinking about 135,000 of Midian, and Gideon, as we're going to see, there's about 32,000 for Gideon. And yet, so even that number is, you know, odd. They've got Midian is way more. And yet, to the Lord, it's too many. And the question is, why? Why is it too many? That's what verse 2 answers. You see it there? Lest Israel should boast over me, saying, my own hand has saved me. The present danger of this time for Gideon and the people and danger for our time as well is a danger of glory. A danger of our glory or Israel's 
own glory. They were in danger of winning this battle and then attributing the victory, i.e. the glory, to themselves. Look, we did pretty good. We, we, we the 32,000, we beat the 135,000. All praise and honor and glory are due where? To the Lord. Even victories that even maybe seem easy or even just situations, we're so prone to just kind of reason out, well, that just naturally happened. It just happened that way. I want you to hear from a few scriptures on this idea of God's glory in all things. Here's a couple familiar. Isaiah 46.10, it says there, God declares the end from the beginning, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. Psalm 135.7, God is described there as one, quote, who makes the clouds rise at the end of the earth, who makes lightnings for the rain, and brings forth the wind from his storehouses. That's God. Or Psalm 29.9, The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bears, and in His temple all cry glory. The fact is, whether there be too many or too little, the victory is the Lord's. The glory is due to His name. And I think verse 2 is pivotal in us understanding this account and this story. It's about the glory of God in this. And God's got a powerful illustration to show to His people here. God wants Israel to see. He, doesn't want them to, he wants them to see clearly, this is, I did this. I, the Lord, did this. And so verse 2 permeates this account. And verse 3 is the first downsizing. The first one. There's two. This is number one. It's the first down. The first, it comes, there's a test for Gideon and the army. Here's the test. Anybody fearful? Anybody trembling? You may head home. You can head out. It's actually scriptural. There's precedent for this in scripture to do this. It's kind of like one of those familiar uh, I don't know, movie line. You know, there's always like, if anybody's hesitating now, you better turn around because we're going. You know, that's the idea. Like, head back because we're going forward in this. And so, what happens? You see it there? 22,000 people leave. I wonder if Gideon was a bit surprised. Maybe he thought, maybe 100 will head home. They're kind of fearful. Maybe more will stay. Can you just imagine? I mean, we can't even... You know, see it, it'd be cool with animation to see 22,000 of 32,000 go just fade off and leave. That's what happened. If you're into the math, some of you are, see if I'm right, it's roughly 69% of the army heads out. You've just lost basically 70% of your whole army. It's downsized by the Lord. Okay, then verse 4. The problem persists. There's still too many. Look at verse 4. The Lord said to Gideon, The people are still too many. Take them down to the water. I will test them for you there. And anyone of whom I say to you, This one shall go with you, shall go with you. And anyone who I may say to you, This one shall not go with you, shall not go. So test 1 involves the downsize, involves those fearful and trembling hearts. This test, God's saying, This one stays, this one goes there's a winnowing. There's a downsizing going on. Now, if you look closely at the text, and we're not going to just get into it much in terms of it's a bit challenging to understand what is this who laps like a dog and who kneels because 
you think lapping, like I think of, if I'm lapping of the water, I'm down with my face to the water. It seems those lapping are those that were standing near the water, maybe scooping up with their hand, and then, I don't know, like a dog like this. The others are those then that kneeled and then drank the water. How it all fits and how it, I'm not sure, but that there's some sort, there's a difference here. Now, there's some commentators that want to make a, a judgment call on the men. I don't know that they're particularly wrong, but, but some of them want to say, well, well, those who lapped like a dog and, and didn't kneel down, they were kind of, I don't know, like they were more ready for battle. You know, the, there was this thing. And then those that kneeled, they were not so ready. Or, like it's a winnowing of strength and th- th- that sort of thing. But here's Dale Davis, helpful as always. I've run to him for a couple quotes. You'll see him, he pops up again. Um, I don't quote him all the time, but, but this one I thought was interesting as he thinks on, are we judging what kind of men these are based on how they lap the water? Here's what he has to say. The text does not hint at any virtue or vice in how one guzzles water. The water-drinking episode was simply Yahweh's mechanism for further reducing Gideon's army. And then he says, the 300 are the sign of Israel's weakness not the epitome of her strength. So some would say, well, the 300 that were left, they were really good warriors because they, they drank the water this way. You know, that, that's the idea. He's saying, no, the, the focus on there's only 300 left. And that's what happened. There, there is a critical cutting of the team, if you will. So now we're going from the 10,000 down to the 300. And again, if you're into percentages, by verse 8, the entire army is down to if I'm right, less than 1% of what it had been. What a statistic. Out of this whole army, 32,300 are left, 1% of them. Now, I have a graphic of this. Caleb, do I have it next there? Yeah. Can you, can you see that? This is not one of those pictures that you blur your eyes and a, a 3D jet comes out of the background. It, if you can see... And I've got copies of this in the back. If I forget, I made them 50 copies. I want you to take this. It's an amazing chart. Up here, can you see these dots up here? That's 300 dots. However, the rep, I know it's kind of blurry. 300 little pixels up there. That's Gideon's army. This is Midian. It's a powerful graphic just to see what was going on. We, we can read it and we don't really have a grasp. Every little dot, this is the army that these 300 were going against. God must move. Psalm 33, 16 and 17 says this, The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation. And by its great might, it cannot rescue. And then verse 20 of Psalm 33 says, Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In this case, less is more. Less men Less resources, God determines those, right? Less human victory and more what? Glory to God. If you're tempted even in your life to look at how less you are or how little you have, take heart in the account of Gideon. 
God will take, He takes the little, He takes the 1%, and He accomplishes mighty things. Even verse 7, you see it again. I asked you to look for some of these. I think verse 7 is the second time where God says to Gideon, with the three men, 300 men who lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand. God, the Lord, determines the resources for the battle, which, by the way, belongs to Him. What resources He has given, that's what you have. You have a, like a 1%, then use it for the glory of God. And He gets the glory through it. Well, that's the army on the whole, verses 1 through 8, but the text narrows a bit. Again, verse 9, and it comes back to Gideon himself. And here's what's interesting. It reveals Gideon's own timid heart. Look at verses 9 through 11. That same night the Lord said to him, so to Gideon, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hand. But if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Pura, your servant, and you shall hear what they say. And afterwards, your hands shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. Then he went down with Pura, his servant, to the outposts of the armed men who were in the camp. Truth be known, Gideon was kind of more like the 22,000 that had already headed home, the fearful and trembling, rather than the strong and confident leader. Maybe it's because he was down to 300. He wasn't fearful. Now he is. But truth number two, God graciously assures his timid servant. And that's what God does in this moment. We'll see the result of that in these verses 9 through 18. The men have been downsized. But what happens when the leader himself, he's not so sure? Here's what happens. God's steadfast love is with Gideon in his timidity, in his being afraid. God's not here with harshness or anger. There's a gracious call. Go. Listen to what they say. Be strengthened. You hear God saying, be strengthened for the task. Dale Davis, once again says, in light of this, we may need to alter our current stereotypes. <laughs> I like this. We may need to alter our current stereotypes of what a servant of Christ is or is like. We sometimes dupe ourselves into thinking that a real servant of Christ is only someone who is dynamic, assured, confident, brash, fearless, witty, adventuresome, or glamorous with one or two appearances on a Christian television network. Don't think you are unusable because you don't have that air about you. Christ takes uncertain and fearful folk, strengthens their hands in the oddest ways, and makes them able to stand for Him in school or home or work. It's a great quote and a great thought. We want to kind of put Gideon up. Well, he got it right. He was all okay. He was afraid, and God was gracious to strengthen him. And so Gideon goes down to spy on the camp. And verse 12, just in case we forgot, reminds us just how, how abundant the army is. It talks about uh, people of Midian being like locusts. You know, the, the abundance of locusts, like their camels were without number. They were like sand on the seashore, just three kind of like locusts. They're like um, 
All the, what did I say? Camels and sand on the seashore. Like all of this. But here's Gideon, verses 13 and 14, and he overhears one kind of comrade or friend, a fellow soldier, retelling a dream to another. So somehow they're able to sneak up to this camp of 135,000 and listen in on this conversation. And, and here's essentially the dream is this. Hey, Joe. So I have this dream the other night. A barley cake rolls into the camp and destroys a tent. The thing is, typically, I don't know about you, barley cakes, I don't even, I've never, I don't know if I've had a barley cake. I don't think it's like a birthday cake. It's like a, I don't think it's probably that good, right? I think, I even read somewhere, maybe it's the cake of, of poorness, you know, like, like kind of Gideon and the, the state that they were in. You just don't hear of cakes rolling into tents and just toppling them down and them laying flat. That's not what cakes do. The cake crumbles. They don't destroy tents, but that's the dream. That's what makes it kind of a dream. But then God's gracious assurance comes to Gideon, look at this, via the lips of the enemy. Look at verse 14. So there's this dream, and then the other comrade basically interprets 14, and his comrade answered, you know, instead of saying, well, that's hilarious, barley bread doesn't do that. He says, this is no other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. And look at it again. God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. If you're counting, I believe this to be the fourth time of this truth of the outcome of the battle. It's restated in Gideon's ears. And he hears it from an enemy. And so what does Gideon do? The first part of verse 15, as soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshipped. He worships. What an unlikely spot for Gideon, an unlikely warrior, to hear from God. This also changes maybe our view of sometimes what we think of hearing from God. You know, we just came back from the mountains. You think of, like, I'm going to go listen for the Lord. Where? Go to the mountains or the lake, a quiet tree, and stillness and God's Word and a cup of coffee. You know, it's like that's where I'm going to hear from the Lord. Gideon hears from the Lord from a comrade. It sounds like Russia, right? From a comrade of the enemy. That's where he hears the encouragement. That's how God works. Yes, does he work through beautiful mountain scenes and quiet lakes and quiet time in his word? Absolutely. Please don't hear like, well, you don't have to listen. Just go listen to the enemy. No, God just, he, he works through so many different ways. He works in and around right where we are. And he assures Gideon. And he leads him step by step daily and graciously. And look at what God's gracious assurance produces now. Because in the, letter, the latter part of verse 15, Gideon now returns. But he's worshipped and he is strengthened to go back. And from verse 15 to 18, it's like Gideon's this new man in the camp. He's saying, arise, let's go. You guys grab this, get this ready because we're going. Get your horns Shofars, you've heard of the shofar, that's, I th- that's the Hebrew here. I don't think it was trumpets like some of you might play in band. Just ram's horn. Grab your horns, grab the jars, get some torches, 
we're going to go. Arise. God's given Midian into your hand. And so timid Gideon leads boldly because his God has strengthened him. The battle is the Lord's. And God will use every means, God would use every means of his servant Gideon to win the battle. This is interesting. The ba- it's the Lord's victory, and yet God uses Gideon. He uses his personality, and yet God is glorified in what he does. He's sovereign, and yet he uses Gideon. The, he brings together the horns and the, and the, the, the jars and the, the torches. Was that Gideon's plan? Did he say, let's do this? You might say, well, yeah, but what is the text overall? This is God working through His servant for God's glory. The, the problem is not that God uses men and women to accomplish His kingdom work. The problem is when these men and women, when they attribute the victory to themselves. God uses people. The danger is, well, I guess I did that okay. That sermon went well. I, I guess I can do this on my own. It's so quick for us to steal the glory. God's victory is His glory while He uses and graciously strengthens men and women for the task. May the Lord give us the right order and thoughts on that. May He humble our hearts that we say, Lord, the victory is Yours. My very breath right now that I've been breathing during this whole time and that You have is from the Lord. It's Acts 17. His. Well, we get to verse 19 through 22, and finally the actual battle. And the Lord gives the sure victory. Interesting, isn't it? Verses 1 through 18, the large part of the section is really preparing for the battle. The battle, text wise, is kind of short. I mean, it's, it's longer, right, in real, real time, but the text of it is rather short. It's the preparing. The battle is just, it's the Lord's. It's relatively short in our text. And we find here in verse 19 what seems to be Gideon and at least the hundred men with him at this point, they seem to be going out in this middle watch around 10 o'clock at night. That's what I read. Maybe some one place said midnight. We'll go with 10 o'clock, this, this middle watch of the night. I think the watches were... Somewhere talked about, you know, from 6 p.m. to 10 p.m., that's four hours, that watch, and then 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. is a, kind of the middle watch, and then 2 a.m. To, to 6 a.m., another four hours, that's the, I guess, the morning watch, uh, as it were. So 10 o'clock, perhaps, at night, and horns start blowing, the jars start being broken, and, and then eventually there's three companies that surround the army of Midian, and there's a cry at the end of verse 20, they uh, cry out a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. My study Bible says this at this point. It says, ironically, no Israelite swords were used at all. Only torches, trumpets, and jars. Scarcely classic military weapons. Oh, this is great. I I don't know, did they not have any swords? It seems like later on there's some sword use. Maybe they picked them up from the middle, like, Free swords, uh, that idea. But at this point, they've got horns, jars, and torches. And yet, by verse 21, there is mass confusion. 
Gideon's army stood while they stood around while there's three words to describe it in verse 21. Every man stood in his place around the camp and all the army ran. They cried out and they fled. In Gideon's army, the 300 is kind of standing there, I think, watching what takes place. Now, as to some of this confusion of Midian, I found one resource helpful, an observation on, and if you think of 300 men with their, you know, they've got the jar, not clear jar, you know, broke, break the jar, here's the light, and so all of a sudden there's, there's these 300 lights around, they're hearing the horns, that sort of thing. Why, why might that have scared or caused this army into confusion? Here's what one place said, usually only a few of the soldiers carried trumpets for signaling because hands were needed for weapons and shields. Likewise, for night battle, a certain number would be assigned to hold the torches that would illuminate the battle area and block retreat at the perimeter. It would be expected then that the trumpet blowers and torch holders would represent only a small percentage of the army with the rest charging in to fight. So can you imagine? This is perhaps how the Midianites are seeing this. If there's this many lights, you know, this commentator's point here is, what must the army be behind all these lights and these horns? If it's that many horns, and we know it's, well, it's only 300, but if that represents more, how much could this be? Well, that would maybe, and, and I think does, could, explain the confusion. Remember, just remember back to the bigger story. This, God is doing this. God is at work here. Verse 22 kind of just as a summary statement, brings that out. So look at verse 22. When they blew the 300 trumpets, the Lord. You know, we can commentary, we can look, well, what did they see? They were confused, all those sort of things. What does the text, when they blew the 300 trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his comrade and against all the army, and they flee from there. And we'll look at there. Where's that fleeing and what happens? Look at that the next time. By my count, when it mentions the Lord here in verse 22, the Lord said every man's sword. I think this is the sixth time we hear in this passage of the Lord working, the Lord saving Israel by the hand of Gideon. And by the hand of the Lord working through Gideon, just obedient with these jars, torches, and horns, We read in chapter 8, some 120,000 men of the enemy would perish. Now, they'll chase the others, but at this point, 120,000 men perish. While Gideon, you know, I don't know how they held this, they just hold the torches. And, And then they pursue later on. The Lord gives the sure victory. question for us, for you. What are you trusting God for today that you can't do so that when He does it, you know God did it? The same God who downsizes resources for the sake of His glory, who graciously assures His own, that's what He does all over the Word, He gives the sure victory. This same God is your God if you be in Christ. He's not, oh, that, man, I would love to have God. I'd love to know Him like that. You can 
through Christ. If you're an enemy of God, what's that mean? You walk your own road, enjoying sin. I mean, just momentarily, you're just walking in sin, kind of thinking, someday I'll get right with God. Someday I'll make right. You, you have no more hope than Midian did, which is zero hope. And though life right now looks like in its abundance, and I'll, I'll, just, I'll take care of the Lord and I in a relationship, maybe I'll get serious with Him when I get older. Now is the time. Turn. Or should you not turn, you will bear God's wrath like a little picture of it here for eternity. But if Christ be your Savior, if Christ is your Savior, what a glorious hope you and I have. Though your resources look tiny, or you're timid, or you're fearful, you know, I should be stronger in my faith by now, and I'm not. You're in good company with Gideon and with the God who assures Gideon. Maybe you only have a horn and a jar. If you have Christ, you have all you need. In fact, Paul says it this way. Maybe you think of this. He says this in 2 Corinthians 4, 7. But we have this treasure. What treasure? The light of the knowledge of the glory of God in Jesus Christ. We have this treasure. Remember where that is? In jars of clay. Broken, these jars of clay breakable jars that aren't sturdy at all. And then the verse says, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. You get discouraged. You think, I should be here when I'm here. Then praise God for He will get the glory and trust Him. Lord, help me. I don't want to be here. I need Your strength. I need Your Spirit. Guide me. Lead me. And then lead me with eyes back to Christ who is our righteousness our sanctification, our holiness. It's all in Christ. Look, look lastly at just a, a very familiar passage, but it's, it's a joy to read it. Look, go to Romans chapter 8. It's a joy to read it in light of what we've read and thought about Gideon and our own lack of trust and our timidity. Look at Romans 8, 31 through 39. I'll just read that as a way to close here. Romans chapter 8. I imagine many of you could quote this. What words for us who know Christ? Verse 31, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies Who's to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who's at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation? Distress? Persecution? Famine? Nakedness? Danger? Sword? The latest news today that you see? As it's written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, 
things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. No army great enough can separate us from His love in Christ. Not to us, O Lord. Not to us, Psalm 115 says, but to Your name give glory for the sake of Your steadfast love and Your faithfulness. Would you pray with me? Lord, Your steadfast love is new in the morning because we need it because we're worried about the day and we don't know what will take place. We trust in Your covenantal steadfast love for Your own, purchasing Your own through the love of Christ and the cross for all those who would look to Him as Savior and Lord and renounce sin. Lord, lead us to this fountain of life to You. Lord, humble us where we have wanted to steal glory, where we're in danger of having too much and too many. (laughs) Thank You, Lord, for Your grace that downsizes our pride that we would give You more glory. I pray for our people. I pray for our church, Lord, those visiting with us today. May we be about Your glory. May we not put it off. May we not be confident in ourselves but draw our strength from you and so give you glory. And we pray this in your name. Amen. You've been listening to Bethany Radio, a production of Bethany Bible Church in Leroy, Minnesota.